Buildings on Air with Kiefer Dunn on London Radio. Welcome, welcome, welcome to this 24th episode of Building on Air. And I'm your host, Kiefer Dunn. And this is, of course, the show where we talk about left politics, architecture, sometimes more of one less of the other. Um, and we've got a, a fabulous show for you today, if not slightly abbreviated from our normal routine. Um, but Jamie, do you believe we've done uh, like 46 hours of chat about architecture? Yeah, I <laughs> never, politics. you know, I never, <laughs> Kiefer, when I turned 50, I always wanted to chat about architecture for 46 hours. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's living some kind of dream. That's for sure. It's absolutely living the dream. Yeah. And uh, so, so we've been doing the show for like, a, for a couple years. Um, mm-hmm. And 2019, I I'm really excited about what the show uh, has in store. Um, I think we won't have a January episode. Um, I'll, I'll be out of. I'll be in Argentina. I'm oh, that's too bad. That. Yeah, yeah. But um, I, I do. I, I'm, I'm open to taking listener suggestions, especially for the podcast feed of the show. Mm-hmm. So if, if you've got some audio that's related to the s- subjects we cover. Send it in. Especially if you remember the door lobby. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) The door lobby, the insulation lobby. People who, for some reason, want to put their air conditioners in their houses, on chairs. We want to hear from you. Yeah, we want to hear from you. Um, and and um, yeah, and if you're listening live, of course, today you'll hear uh, producer Jamie's excellent music selections, um, which you miss when you listen to the podcast episode of the show. Um, but anyway, we've got a great episode today. We're talking to Milton S.F. Curry uh, at the top of the show here in a couple minutes. And then we're doing a mailbag with uh, Ann Louie and Craig Reschke of Future Firm. Maybe just Craig. We'll see. Anyway, um, that's the segment of our show where we answer your listener questions about buildings. There's still plenty of time to get those in, folks. Send them in. Tweet them at us, uh, BLDGS on air on Twitter. Um, or you can email at build, or buildingsonair at gmail.com. Um, so without further ado, um, I'm, I'm really excited to chat with our guest. He's, he's on Skype with us. Um, Milton S.F. Curry, how's it going? Very good. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. We're super happy to have you on the show. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm really happy to be talking with you, especially uh, since since really you're very, very involved in, in this kind of idea of, of citizen architect um, and, and kind of creating an architectural education environment that really sort of buttresses this notion. And um, I, I'm curious about this, especially because the institution where I teach school, the Art Institute of Chicago, um, has the same sort Sort of citizen architect framework, um, and and uh, you know, and Louis, uh, <laughs> frequent mailbag contributor, has, was one of the curators of uh, Venice Pavilion, uh, the U.S. Pavilion at Venice, which is of course all about dimensions of citizenship. So this is sort of a, a, a near and dear topic that I think is sort of of the utmost importance. Um, so I'm really curious to hear sort of your your take on it. How, how you sort of are, are folding this into um, uh, USC, which is where you teach, University of Southern California, um, and, and what's going on. And, and like I said um, in the kind of email, I tell this to all the guests, uh, I always set the table with a bunch of sort of big, unfair... <laughs> Loose <laughs> questions and topics, and and see what what uh what what our guests pick up here. So um and and, and we'll take the conversation from there. Um so yeah, citizen architect, go. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, thank you for that big question. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so at, at USC Architecture, where I've been dean for about a year and a half, uh we're we're experimenting. Uh that that's what we should be doing in academia in architecture schools. 
of course, meeting our, our accreditation requirements where we need to, but really going beyond that and asking the question of what kind of consciousness, what kind of headspace does does our students do our students need to be in in order to really take up the challenges that are the contemporary challenges of their generation. Right. Not of my generation, but of their generation. And in, in doing so and asking that question and kind of fulfilling our responsibility as educators, what we've really come to is a a construct, I think, um, about how we cohere the contemporary world. Mm-hmm. And that really starts with thinking about what it means to be not a citizen of a nation state, but a citizen of the world, yes. right? We're a global, uh, we're in a global situation. And what are the kind of social compacts or social contracts that really have been ruptured or disrupted over the course of the time, you know, thinking back, thinking back to the time of John Rawls or the time of, of Jean-Jacques Rousseau, um, thinking about notions of egalitarianism, of democracy, um, and of course capitalism, which which comes into play yeah. significantly as well. So it's really thinking about the kind of foundational principles that, that set, set us on the course of, of democracy, of, of social safety nets, of the kinds of things that we think of um, negatively and, and positively as part of the, the kind of contemporary liberal state. And there's so much to do in rethinking uh, these constructs. So when we think about um, mass incarceration, we think about the refugee crisis, it really all goes back to um, our conceptions of what it, what it means to be human, what it, what it means to have human rights. When you think about technology, uh, the rights that we have, the privacy rights, um, technology in the public sphere, do I have the right to be in public and yeah. be anonymous? Um, part of what we thought of as, as the urban realm, thinking of the, the flaneur who's, who's moving about the city and, and really absorbing the city anonymously in some ways to, to get a sense, um, to be a stranger in a way in one's own skin. And then, you know, democracy and capitalism, uh, we, you know, are these even compatible? Um, they're, they're paradoxical terms in many yeah. ways at this point. So those are the kind of, um, that's kind of the basis of the experimentation, experimental project that we're undertaking in the context of, you know, a very strong, uh, very uh, fluid and very uh, dynamic um, architectural program that, that has a history in the case study houses, rethinking modernism, uh, graduates like Paul Williams, uh, Frank Gehry, Tom Maine. So it's a great place to be. And it's a great place to really be undertaking this experiment. Yeah, and, and uh, a lot warmer than your last posting in Ann Arbor. <laughs> <laughs> a lot. <laughs> uh, well, terrific. I mean, I, th- I think uh, I think that's a really it's a really ambitious project, and you know, I, and and I I, I totally. Uh, um, you know, as an educator, I mean, I, I'm not, I'm not a dean. I, I'm, I'm a lowly sort of adjunct, so, so I have, I have a, a lot less sort of agency uh, uh, in, in sort of, in sort of setting, setting that tone. Um, although I'm happy to work in a place that, by and large, uh, does share a lot of these sort of values that you're, you're, you're bringing forward. But I, I think that it's. Um, it is it, it is really hard to see how these things sort of meet the ground and in, in the kind of classroom. And so I'm, cu- I'm curious what your thoughts are on that and sort of what what the results of the experiments have been so far, right? And and I love this this kind of you know, thinking about it as an experiment because it, it kind of like t- uh, 
I don't know. Maybe it takes the pressure off it a little bit because it leaves room for like you know. Okay, we we fa- we failed to to meet that sort of ambition in this way, but like you know the 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 sort of goal still holds true, and and we try another route. Um. So yeah, like what what are some of the successes and failures in in sort of how this meets the ground? Um. What are some of the the things you're trying? Uh. Yeah. Sure. I mean, without. Uh, just again, studying the context, I think, and 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 again, part of my ethos and our ethos at the school is, you know, a thousand flowers can bloom, and, and there can be you know ten thousand debates. And I think right. that uh, there's so many res- respected institutions who are doing great work. The Art Institute of Chicago, um, the you know ASU uh, Design School, with their new uh, Dean rethinking kind of design education. So I think it's exciting, quite frankly, to have colleagues who are taking up the challenge across the country in, in certain ways, and, and really being able to, to set a, maybe a common framework to be able to really debate these issues yeah. amongst ourselves. Because, as you said, it's an experiment. Um, we're not going to be right. We don't have all the answers. But we really need to get you know, into exercising our theoretical muscles around uh, debating these, these topics um, uh, and, and really coming up with some I don't want to say solutions, but um, observations that, that, are, right. that are actionable, right? So to get back to your question, uh, it's early days. Um, you know, you said you're an adjunct. I mean, we have uh, 60, over 60% of my faculty are part-time. Uh, the, you know, they're, they're part of the engine, the faculty or the engine that really drive the school. And so um, my job is, is really uh, kind of nudger-in-chief to, to nudge and to <laughs> yeah. kind of eyes and, and not to say no, but to find ways to say yes. So... Mm-hmm. Um, in that sense, um, one of the things that, that that I've identified and observed as part of my career in teaching and, and in administrating is the modes of getting the knowledge exchange to happen, right? We mm-hmm. have six credit courses, three credit courses. We have design studio, you know, takes up 12 hours a week sometimes. We have three credit courses, three hours a week, four hours a week. And we teach those according to our logic uh, at, at USC. We have a semester system. One of the things I'm really interested in is getting uh, non-practitioners and practitioners um, into conversation with students and faculty in modes of knowledge exchange that may not fit into our conventional framework. So mm-hmm. whether that means uh, pairing things to studio, when I was at University of Michigan, uh, Monica Ponce Leon, um, developed something called studio pairings, where we were incentivizing uh, faculty to pair, let's say, a, a theory seminar or history th- history seminar with a studio that where the topics were compatible. Hmm. Um, and I think that that was uh, that was successful to some degree, but it wasn't widely uh, uh, dealt with. It wasn't it wasn't widely uh, taken advantage of by the faculty. Hmm. So thinking about how we can get, um, you know residencies where we have artists, where we have civic activists, uh, civic leaders, uh, politicians, um, who may do workshops, who may do uh, uh, things where they're connecting to studio directly on a, on a basis of, you know, five or six times a semester, as opposed to, to coming in and teaching, you know, a conventional course uh, three hours a week for three credits. So we're looking at that. that. That's more on the kind of the pragmatic side of how do you actually uh, get that, that knowledge exchange with people who... Right. Um, who are not um, accustomed to and maybe won't wouldn't fit into the conventional teaching schedule um, in terms of how they're working in their in their home institutions or in their lives. 
So that's one aspect, um, and there are others, but but that's that's one aspect of trying to um, diversify the voices that students are hearing. So often on final reviews uh, that we all fly around the country to go to, you have you know 15 people in black suits uh, who've been to to you know some of the best schools in the country, and it's one student up there presenting, and I think that model. Um, of the the authority figures, the power structure. Um, there's good things about it, but there's also negative things about it. And trying to kind of pull some of these tried and true techniques apart a little bit and ask questions is, is this really serving um, right. the purposes of, of how we want to teach and how we want to transfer knowledge to students? Yeah, yeah. I think that that's all super interesting. And um yeah, I, I especially like the idea of sort of bringing bringing activists, like community activists, in into the classroom because for me it really uh, starts to open up this dialogue about the sort of precise ways in which architecture is political. I think is is really a kind of a focus of the show in in a lot of ways is is trying to be like very specific about understanding how those things intersect the political and because we we know that architecture is kind of always political um but i i'm 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 not always sure that architects are the best at sort of doing politics <laughs> right and and i and i think that part of the reason um has to do with these kind of big structural forces which you sort of alluded to um uh when when in your kind of opening remarks um you know capitalism right i, I mean you know we, we kind of and the students end up you know asking these questions in, in the kind of institutions um but it's it becomes really difficult to sort of um address them when you kind of get into the world of work um so so university seems like uh, always in this very precarious space where it, it's one of the few spaces uh, where you can kind of really deeply question these these kind of systems that so are, are so in, in such dire need of questioning right but but it's also sort of ve very precarious um, in, in its sort of relationship to the po power relationship uh, to the sort of world world of work um, so I, I'm curious how, how you approach those those questions, um, you know, I, I suspect for me that the answer has something to do with, um, you know, the like you you, you said the, the challenges that students face, uh, thinking really concretely about student debt and and how some of those things sort of operate as as mechanisms, um, and the diversity diversity uh, in in colleges of architecture across the country. Um, I mean, th these are all kind of inter interconnected issues that are, that are difficult sure. to pull apart. Um, but yeah. Again, this is another typical buildings on air big question. <laughs> a, a big question, non-question, question everything question. <laughs> so I think uh, you know, it's, a, it's a great question. I think that, that, again, kind of the context first. I think um, our profession and discipline has been significantly diluted from uh, – diluted from uh, – from when I was even in school, the authority mm. of the architect yeah. um, really has, has dissipated on the one hand because uh, we haven't, we've been late to the game in, in some of these political social questions. Mm. Followers instead of leaders. We've been, uh, in the case of deconstruction, uh, we picked pieces that we liked and were comfortable and then we didn't pick the pieces, identity uh, issues dealing with identity and race yeah. and gender. We didn't pick the pieces we didn't like. Uh, we followed those those heroic 
kind of theorist, and then here yeah. we are at a place where we don't have the, the intellectual tools to deal with issues that are really coming at us quite quickly. So I think the, the, the discipline of the profession have been diluted. We've also uh, not taken up the challenge theoretically and intellectually um, when and where we have needed to. So we're, we're playing catch up there. Certainly, mm. we haven't diversified the people who are delivering and teaching, delivering knowledge and teaching uh, our students and involved in that knowledge exchange. Yeah. So you have folks who, even with the best of intentions, have been educated with uh, ex- extreme degrees of homogeneity, mm-hmm. both in terms of the, the peoples that, that have taught them, but also the ideas, the uh, openness to ideas, the openness to diverse uh, opinions, the openness to a diversity of geography and, and life background and life spheres. Yeah. That's all been homogenized for them. And now, you know, people like me are saying, uh, well, let's come on. Right. <laughs> let's talk to another generation, you know, this next generation of students who are, who are themselves more diverse than many yeah. of the faculties that we're seeing. So we've got to do some work with our faculties to, and our faculty to, um, to bring knowledge to them and to, at the same time that we're educating our students, we're going to have to educate our faculty. And getting comfortable with that, getting our faculty comfortable with that, and that it's not a, it's not a, um, a penalty, it's, it's, it's a part of, to use a cliche, lifelong learning, but right. it has to be done simultaneously with students. And in fact, our students can teach faculty in some cases more so than the faculty yeah. can knowledge themselves. So it's a really interesting dynamic that I think we should take up and, and see as an opportunity. In terms of on the ground, I, I think that there's so many issues where people, the compression is happening between the public saying, what does architecture have to do with me? Legitimate question. We've been designing yeah. 1%, 2%, 5%. Um, again, to some degree, uh, uh, because of forces that are beyond us. But I think it's it's a legitimate question for people to say, what is architecture doing for me? Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, I'm, I'm getting access to some cultural institutions, but in terms of housing, in terms of, of social institutions, I'm not seeing that level of design, right. you know, interact, in, me interacting with that. And so, legitimate question. Um, but then you have another question of, can't architects provide a unique kind of intellectual capital in issues like affordable housing, homelessness, mm-hmm. refugee crises, mm-hmm. um, patching back together urban landscapes and infrastructures that have been um, cordoned off and 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 marginalized um, environmental, uh, you know, issues, Hispanic communities. Um, can't architects help us think our way out of that? And so I think that we are coming to a compression of people saying, um, on the one hand, I don't see my interaction with architects um, in the same way that I see it with the 1% and the 5%. Right. But on the other hand, I see the need to have their intellectual capital address issues that are facing me in my daily lives. Right. And that's an opportunity for us to, again, to take it up, own it, and take the leadership position in some of these issues. Yeah. Yeah, and and you know, circling back to to some of the the, the diversity things, I you know I I always get frustrated when I go to the I go to the AIA convention every year, <laughs> and um, um, 
I always get frustrated, and and this happens to a lesser degree in, in colleges of architecture that that I go to, but um, I, I get frustrated by the way that they use wield a, a particular type of sort of wokeness as a as a weapon <laughs> um, at, at the AIA conventions, and, and what I what I mean by that very specifically is um, that. You know, they you you have the AIA presidents every year for the last three years get up on the stage, talk about how important diversity is, how important these issues are, how architects can you know should be addressing housing and how how we have the ability to do so, and um, uh, you know and, and and but but when you when you get down to the sort of brass tacks, what the AIA is really offering is like some diversity scholarships, which are awesome. It's like good, right? But it's not a yeah. structural solution to the problem. Yeah. And and also, you know, and and really like there, there's not a whole lot of sort of structural critique and understanding, which is why I, I sort of appreciate you um, um, uh, really underscoring the need for kind of history and theory and understanding these things, uh, mm-hmm. because because the AIA is sort of to- totally absent of that. And I and I and I I don't know how sort of malicious it is um, so much as it is the the kind of ignorance of a, of a of a set of kind of managerial interests that kind of govern the AIA mm-hmm. um, but but I, I'm sort of curious like when, when you sort of how, how you as, a, as an administrator sort of sort of navigate that because I think in architecture as it, kind of our greatest asset is that we're sort of you know very like liberal arts profession like we sit in the middle of sort of economics and liberal arts and, yeah. and engineering and and that's that's totally the strength um, but but I think sometimes it means that um, that we can be really slick with our, like, believe our own rhetoric uh, in in a lot of ways, or or have the kind of values, um, and 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 um, and not have the kind of follow through, and um, maybe you know you need the values <laughs> to to get the follow through, and and a little bit of fibbing is okay, but but I'm I'm curious how how you navigate that as a kind of administrator, like just like think thinking through the sort of structural issues and people's good intentions and and. And, and all and all of these these sorts of issues because it's complex, right? Sure, and and I think um, we need to uh, you know start with we need to start with our assumption that people are acting on their on their best intentions, but mm, yeah. we also have to look at results. We also have to look at the accountabilities that are in place. And I think for me, um, I'm an institutionalist uh, on the one hand, so I believe that. Unless you institutionalize something, uh, when you leave, yeah, that that nothing will remain uh, because it, it will have just been your performative uh, success in in doing something. So I think that that we have to look at institutions and frameworks of accountability. Mm-hmm. I don't think that that some of these organizations have have really um, used the full weight and force of their institutions, partnerships. Mm-hmm and capital to affect change at the scale that we need change to be affected by. Let's look at some numbers. When I was a junior in high school, uh, growing up in Central California, I think the percentage of black American architects registered licensed was about 1.5% or thereabouts. Um, today, 40 some odd years later, that number is uh, 2.3, maybe it's 3%. Hmm. Um, that 
is, is simply unacceptable um, yeah. when you have the the proportion disproportionate impacts of urban planning, urban design, architecture um, hitting you know Black American populations um, in in disproportionately negative ways. Um, that's just unacceptable. Uh, I, what I'm proud of at, the, at USC, and part of the reason I came to USC, USC Architecture, is that as a university, there's there's been a commitment that's that's matured over time towards some of these issues. And today, it's resulted in uh, uh, 18% of our freshmen, uh, I'm sorry, 18% of our undergraduates across the entire campus uh, are first generation to go to college. Wow. In high school, uh, with 450 uh, undergraduate students in our Bachelor of Architecture program, we're 20% first generation to go to college, 2% percentage points above the average across the university. Um, and, and we have Hispanic and, and black American diversity that's, that's above national averages, way above in the case of, of uh, Hispanic and Latino, particularly in our freshman class of the last couple of years. Um, so, so we're going to build on that. But I think that in terms of accountability, going back to your question, um, it's positive that people like me and, and uh, again, others who, uh, when I was at University of Michigan, Monica Ponce-Leon and I developed a high school uh, architecture enrichment program that was, that was very, uh, uh, very substantial in terms of, of dealing with students for a half day, five days a week for one entire semester of their junior year. Uh, I don't think there's a program that had been done in that way uh, mm -hmm. before. So, you know, we're, people are doing these kinds of things that are more, that are deeper, that are more intervention, interventionist yeah. uh, than, than has been done before in terms of just accepting the after-school paradigm. Yeah. After-school is, I think, great on the one hand, but it's not getting us to where we need to be. Mm. And again, getting back to your question, we're going to need to to put different things together to actually uh, affect change. And and what does change look like? Change looks like, you know, a consistent percentage of African American, Black American, uh, Hispanic, Latino American students um, across the board, across the the top twenty, top thirty institutions, uh, with different geographic pools, different uh, high schools that they're pulling from, different income levels. But to see that kind of void and, 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 and those numbers uh, uh, move up and be consistently sustained with the work that we're all doing collectively, that's what change looks like. And very, very far from that. I can, I can do a lot at USC. I did a lot at University of Michigan. Um, we, can, we can partner across uh, institutions. But you also come down to the resource question. Right. Of, um, you know, great, we did that program. Is it sustainable financially? Uh, is it sustainable in terms of the donor funds or the foundation funds? And that's where, um, that's where you start to really affect change at a larger scale. Yeah. Yeah, and and it's and it's interesting too how how those sorts of funds they they provide the opportunities, but they they also um, um, you know there, there's we we did a study in 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 the architecture lobby um, 
a while ago about the sort of lay of the land with grant funding in mm-hmm. in architecture um yeah. and 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 it's really it's really sort of sort of <laughs> sort of it's slim pickings right I, I mean especially especially for projects that sort of are really seeking to challenge this sort of status status quo um and 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 so that that can be sort of tough to navigate and you know that it becomes almost this sort of uh real real politic of uh you know being good good at getting getting the money and try to trying to channel it in the right place uh you know which uh a lot frankly a lot of our guests are are not particularly good at uh you know being sort of a a lot a lot of uh you know uh out and proud marxists and uh you know other sort of radicals of different stripes i i i suspect i suspect uh uh well well, you have a proven track record of of going to get the money and put it towards you know really positive programs and so and and um you know like i think i think it's also really easy for a lot of cynical people on the left to sort of you know say like ah well you know if you get the money then it doesn't matter and it's like no of of course it matters like all all of these things are are movement in a forward direction to one degree or another um i guess my my (laughs) that that's all to lead up to like a really sort of maybe silly question which is like any any tips for like going out there to like get the money <laughs> to, to like send it to like good 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 causes yeah. you know i i know that and, and, and if you don't want to give away your trade secrets totally understand and and i don't know if that's exactly the right question to be asking you know maybe the more sort of polite way to ask the question is like you know like how 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 do, how do we sort of channel resources towards the the spots where we want them to go as sort of people who have a kind of who who value uh, a sort of meaningful democracy and equity that's that's the that's the good radio host way to ask ask that question (laughs) (laughs) well without uh, i'm happy to give away trust to the extent i have any um there's two things i would i would say need to be connected and and we're in an environment um again paradoxically where we're almost in a kind of diversity exhaustion Hmm. um it's the word is used so often. The what that means is so elastic, and and you have folks who, um, if they haven't been introduced to the term, uh, you've got to go through an entire kind of multi-year education to bring them up to speed. So number one is to kind of unpack um, what what's meant by diversity, and I mm-hmm. think that um, similar to the term citizen architect, which, you know, which has been used by many people uh, before me. But I think um, what you do with these terms is you you bring meaning to it, yeah. and then you, you storytell what that meaning is for you, and then that can become the source of a debate or the source of, again, a thousand flowers blooming. Yeah. But I, for us, the storytelling is so key. I think it's key to convincing people that you're doing the right thing intellectually, pedagogically, but it's also um, the key to uh, to getting resources, and yeah, so yeah. in that sense, I think that um, too long for too long diversity has been disassociated from the pedagogical, um, the core content that we're delivering in architecture school. Mm-hmm. And so I think for us, what's very important is to link the diversity, in- inclusion, and equity initiatives with our pedagogy, the syllabi. The conversations on those reviews, the conversations in those seminars. Mm-hmm. If we don't do that, we're evading the core enterprise of our business, which is 
academic knowledge exchange. And so we have to find a way to storytell, but in that storytelling, we've got to um, link um, diversity, equity, inclusion with those courses, whether it be history of, of modern architecture or uh, structures. Yeah. Um, and uh, I think that, again, people have been attracted in this diversity work to, um, some of the naysayers have been attracted to, well, you know, if you're you're in mathematics or structures, they're, they're so quantitative. What does diversity have to do with that? Well, I think we saw in, in the movie about um, the woman who was involved in the, um, in the space program and, and bringing her math skills uh, to that, um, but also bringing her identity to that. Um, that, that was important. I think you look at the, uh, at the sciences and you look at the disproportionate impact of environment of uh, the, the chemistry that's happening in, uh, in, in environmental racism and, and the effects that that has on, on communities of color. Um, and you look at the, the kind of uh, the pool of people who get into uh, studies, you know, cancer studies or heart, heart studies, and, mm -hmm. and there's a lack of women, a lack of minorities. So I, I just don't believe that, that we can cordon off science and say anything that's objective and quantitative we don't need to, to talk about diversity. It's all about meritocracy. Mm. Meritocracy is a myth. Mm -hmm. Meritocracy is based on um, the, the, the income level that you have to a to, to large extent, not exclusively, but to a large extent. And so we've got these myths of, and these ideals that we cling to, but yet we know that they're not true. Yeah. Equality of opportunity is not true. If you grow up in a poor inner city community in Philadelphia, in West Oakland, in Chicago, in Los Angeles, uh, you're cut off from resources, your access to capital is, is minimized, and you don't have the same access to the pathways uh, to a quality education in K through 12 and then in college as your peers in, in wealthier zip codes. Mm -hmm. It's not a class warfare, it's an acknowledgement of the facts. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, precisely. Yeah, and and so I and I, I I'm um, I don't know, and I I'm really happy that 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 there's there's uh, we're sort of having this conversation in in architecture right now, and I'm I'm curious, um, you know, you're, you're sort of pl plugged into the discourse about all of these things, um, as as most of our listeners to the show are, and so I'm I'm curious if if there there's sort of uh, an issue that you're sort of when when you're when you're reading. What's coming out there? I mean, uh, about our kind of architecture and politics. If mm -hmm. there's something that you're kind of slapping your head, <laughs> you know, we're we're missing this. You know, all of all of your your sort of well-meaning colleagues, like this is the thing that that we're sort of not not getting. Um, you know, not not that this is. I'm, I'm not looking for like a kind of a silver bullet, but but sure. is, is is there is there something that that you um, that you see uh, uh, as as missing in the discourse um, that that buildings on air might be able to help you sort of add back in uh, in some way with with our little humble platform here. Well, I think to some degree the 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 old ways that we kind of outlined um, and highlighted. Themes and trends in the discipline. I, I, I think that that's that's dissipating and, and being disrupted, and, and I'm I'm happy that it is. But yeah. I think the vestiges of that are, for example, you know, I, I've been reading some conversations about postmodernism uh, and its its resurgence, and I think it's you know it's interesting intellectually to think about that 
that historical period and mm-hmm. then to think about the out, outputs of that and then to compare that with where where there may be resurgences today. Mm-hmm. But um, but what I don't hear even in that conversation is, um, you know, new urbanism emerged <laughs> out of a, a very a very heavy uh, uh, bias against uh, a lot of the tenets of modernism. Uh, and and for example, that that movement, uh, I believe, has has done a lot of damage intellectually and theoretically to where we we could be moving cities. There's been positive outcomes as well, but I think in large part it started out as a project to um, to extend a kind of um, the whiteness of suburbia yeah. um, to an urban condition, and um, and that's something uh, that I think um, I I put those. I put those thoughts together not based upon looking at uh, the trends of modernism, postmodernism, but really looking at critiquing um, misguided or misdirected theoretical initiatives. Yeah. And so I think that if we if we focus on kind of training our our intellectual muscles on you know misdirected energies. Right. Uh, I think that postmodernism uh, and critiquing that, um, I don't know that there's a lot of fruit to to be to be born there. I, I think that um, the kind of issues that students care about um, with respect to where we're going, I think has to do with a patchwork of, um, as I said at the beginning, democracy and, and, and capitalism, um, uh, incarceration, uh, refugees. And I don't think we get there by by framing it around the tried and true um, silo discourses that that we all have grown up on modernism, postmodernism, etc. Yeah. I think other paradigms have to be put in place, um, and that's where I think the the storytelling, if you will, yeah, uh, and and reframing. I think we're going to have to think about a more disruptive logic of. Of, of framing, you know, I was I was um, recently at the Museum of Modern Art, and when you think about um, the the role that the architecture and design uh, uh, galleries played in, you know, credentializing something like mm. the modernist movement through uh, the exhibition the International Style or the deconstructivist exhibition, which credentialized you know a thought movement, uh, aesthetic movement within architecture, and again, my critique uh, uh, that show but also the movement itself in architecture <laughs> yeah. not not bringing with it those things in literary theory cultural theory that were so transformational to the the institutional um right. academic right. disciplines um that that those uh discourses represented but when you think of of that that mode of how institutions credentialized mm. um, and affirmed and put us put a stamp on on discourse I just think that the landscape is much broader, mm-hmm. and I think that the um, the attitude towards culture uh, is much uh, is much more elastic. And I think no longer do uh, academic institutions and cultural institutions get to to frame get to be the only ones who frame and and stamp uh, a discourse as being credentialized. I think that that when you see people in uh, working on the issues of mass incarceration. Um, that wasn't credentialized by academia. That, uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> people uh, like uh, uh, Heather Thompson, Elizabeth Hinton, and uh, 
and others, uh, talking about the relationship of Jim Crow to uh, the kind of enslavement that is happening on a contemporary basis within yeah. the prison industrial complex, and of course, Angela Davis. Yeah. That didn't come from, from academia. It wasn't credentialized as, as a movement in academia. Yeah. Academia caught up to it because we can put it under the microscope and, and, and put more resources there and hopefully um, uh, get something out of that. So I think as architects, let's stop looking just internally, you know, navel-gazing to the last movement, and then we can we can rethink that movement, or we can go two movements back and rethink that movement. Right. Let's go out into the wilderness of culture and find those things that are happening, and they may be unnamed right now. Yeah. And, and, and somebody else may have named them that's not an architect. And <laughs> begin, begin to graft on to some of those things as opposed to, you know, continuing what we think is going to give life to our own kind of uh, intellectual um, role within the discipline. Yeah. Um, you have to be able, I think, at this moment to allow yourself to be intellectually vulnerable. Yeah. Well, it, it, it's interesting to, uh, I, I really appreciate that, that as a kind of takeaway. It's really, it's quite, quite poetic and I think potent and true. Um, and, and I think it's interesting to keep kind of bringing this back to, to deconstructivism and, and the way that, that sort of architects picked and choose, right? And, and, uh, cause, cause we got all the sort of, uh, bad semiotics and, and none of this, <laughs> and none of the sort of, uh, ra- radical politics. And that's sort of, you know, why we're always kind of playing these word games. And I, I also appreciate what you're saying, the sort of bringing forward, um, you know, what, the, what the students care about, right? And, and I think that, um, I, 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 I sense in in your in your kind of comments in, in this interview a, a real a real optimism that I totally share and and a, and a lot of my optimism comes from the fact that like you know the the, the kids are all right <laughs> you right. know like the the it's really coming from the kind of the the students um, uh, really bringing forward these questions and, and and these vulnerabilities and saying like you know I I I I, I want to make the world a better place and I feel sort of hampered in that and I and I want the tools. I want the intellectual tools. I want the framework. I want to be able to understand this. I want to be able to change it. And um, and and that makes it really. It's a really exciting time to sort of be a, be a teacher. I think for that reason. And I also think it, it, the the more that our schools are sort of diverse, the more that they become sort of working class. The more those sort of critiques and and wills kind of come forward. Um, um, just because it's kind of in 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 structurally uh, in 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 those in in the interests of of of, of students who aren't. In the kind of 1% or, you know, sort of coming from an upper middle class background to really question those systems because it becomes a kind of uh, matter of, of not intellectual curiosity, but sort of real, like, well-being in, in, a, in a really holistic sense. And, yeah, and I think, I think that, um, look, people's life experiences, life spheres matter. You know, I grew up uh, the youngest of five uh, Father was a, a physician, retired now. Mother, my mom was a uh, stay-at-home mom until uh, until she had to go to the public schools and advocate for each one of us because we were the first wave of, of desegregation. Uh, and 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 so, uh, but we we were upper middle class, but we uh, my parents chose to to live in the working class black community. Mm. Um, and so the idea of, of a distinction of us and them, of a class distinction, was never um, 
was never something that 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 I uh, you know that I uh, absorbed in terms of attention. Mm. I always saw it as as a as a connectedness mm. with with uh, different groups of people. And I think when you say optimism, what I want from our students is optimism plus activism. Yeah. And uh, you know, I think that activism doesn't mean every student's going to go out and become a politician or you know uh, march for for different things. But what it means is the mindset. You know, it's interesting how um, we we accept the term entrepreneurs entrepreneurial effort, entrepreneurial energy. When you say activism, it 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 seems uh, challenging for for people to think about. And why is that? I think we need to think about um, why it is that that advocating for yourself is a pro- advocating for your community is threatening. Yeah, advocating for your community, advocating for me—that's what my mom did, and I saw her do it for uh, the entire uh, community. And and thinking about the inequities in education, yeah, advocacy is is part and parcel of what it means to be a citizen. Yeah, absolutely, and yeah, and and. Um yeah, and I'm I'm really sort of uh, there's there's increasingly so many venues for sort of meaningful architectural activism, and um, you know what what one of the things that that we talk about on the show a lot is is we talk about the architectural lobby. We have like uh, our friends at FR come on the show, uh, uh, architects. Uh, you know, there's there's all these fantastic groups that students can get involved with, and and working yep. architects can get involved with, um, which is which is really neat and. I, you know, I think one of the other pieces of the discourse that I'm that I'm curious about is this sort of uh, conversation about alternative practice that's been going mm-hmm. on, and mm-hmm. because because you know I I, I sense that that uh, like alternative practice is still alternative, and that that, that that in many ways sort of seems <laughs> to be the problem, um, and so I, I'm 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 curious sort of. Um, um, uh, if you have any plans for sort of USC to kind of get involved with the with these problematics with these organizations, um, yeah, and and also we're, we're, our interviews sort of we've we've only got a couple minutes left. So. Well, we we got plenty of time, but I, I am oh. obliged legally to remind oh. people that they are listening to WLPNLP <laughs> Chicago one hundred five point five FM. It's Lumpen Radio. The FCC makes us do this at the top of every hour. We got plenty of time. Okay. Milton's great, and of course, as a member of the USC family, my grandfather was the dean of the right. School of Social Bye. Work. Really? Uh, yes, he was. I'm happy to have a Trojan talk <laughs> for as long as he wants on the show. Amazing. Fight on. Fight on. Uh, yeah, so I think your question, um, you know, when I talk to to practitioners, and, and you know, thankfully in many ways we're, we're at peak employment really in, in the architecture yeah. industry, in the design-build industry. Um, but, but, you know, uh, troubles are on the horizon. I think there's there's signs of a lot of disruption. Airbnb just announced they're going to be designing homes. <laughs> yeah, if I can, it, it, yeah. I, I I saw that article and um, I started. I was like, oh man, here we go. Like, well, I'm at my my practice is over. We're all out of jobs. I give it five years, and then I was like, oh, they want to do like. modular floor plans and like interchangeable roofs and i was like man like they need to look at some architecture history that's not a new idea like if they opened up like a popular mechanics even from like 1950 they would be like they'd see like people have been trying that for for 120 years (laughs) and it's a pipe dream i was like we got nothing to worry about (laughs) (laughs) well but i know what you mean i know what you mean (laughs) but you've got you know google sidewalk labs yeah uh, is is entering uh, kind of the the space between 
large capital flows and ur large urban development, yeah. urban design. You have WeWork who uh, you know are hiring, have an in-house design yeah. team. So I think the landscape, again, getting back to the the diluting of the profession. Um, okay, how do we how do we move in from here? I think alternative practice. When I look at stuff that my former students are doing, it's you know they're going between practices. So they're doing installations and then they're doing you know being on a team to 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 do a building. They're they're doing public art. They're doing speculative uh, imaging of of cities to kind of soften the ground for for potentially new ideas. Mm. Um, and I, I think that I, I get a lot of um, you know optimism out of what I see a lot of my former students and and the younger generation uh, doing in practice. Um, so I think there's a lot of a lot of opportunities. I think that what traditional practices are going to have to do is think long and hard about kind of the storytelling, but also the reality of, of how do they see the client architect transaction? We I just had a conversation with, with Tom Main with our in front of our uh, some of our uh, alumni hmm. a couple of weeks ago, and he said, you know, don't listen to the client. <laughs> and and he said, what I mean by that is, you know, I get to filter um, what what the client is saying, yeah. and a lot yeah. of client architect relationships are very. Are, are more about power than they are about aesthetics and, and form and, and so forth. And so uh, I think that that we have to think about the going to the core client-architect relationship. And what I said to some of the a group of people who are representing traditional practices recently is, you know that that, that transaction is not just transactional. You know that, that <laughs> right. you're doing a lot of pro bono work to get your clients ready for the kind of solution you're going to propose. You have relationships with these clients that, that go beyond uh, the checks that are being exchanged. So think about how you could deepen that relationship. And also uh, that, that may enable you to think about other kind of clients. Um, I know that, that, that in, in looking at uh, cultural projects, there are a lot of large firms that are getting into that game. Uh, and it means uh, reaching out to different kinds of constituencies, uh, pulling in different kinds of partners, different kinds of consultants. I think in the long term what that means is really, uh, or what that will necessitate is a transformation of the conventional practice, mm. where you'll have a combination of expertise in a kind of uh, think tank. Um, and that, you know, there'll be corporate versions of that think tank. There will be, yeah. you know, ra radical versions of that think tank. But I think it will... Um, it will that that the the environment is going to is necessitating a, a radical train change in how practices are constructed. Yeah, terrific. And Milton, any, any sort of last thoughts that this kind of we've had a pretty far far reaching conversation. Any any sort of loose threads you'd like to tie up? Any anything um, anything that you'd like to say on the radio? Any any sort of part parting words of wisdom? Other than beat UCLA, <laughs> that's obvious. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, well, I think that uh, again, what 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 we're trying to do at USC and and what I've been trying to do in my career is to um, think very theoretically conceptually and and now kind of on the ground about um, contemporary issues um, to try to do it with a sense of intellectual generosity. Hmm. Um, when I look at my mentors who 
have run architecture schools or have been influential in architecture schools where at those points in time that school has been influential yeah it's been because there's been a robust debate mm. and it can't be my ideology is the way my thinking is the way it has to be a dynamic sense that that we're in an environment and you know in a in a kind of crucible of of thought uh, where we can have frank and open and robust uh, debate. And I think the more of that that we have, the less homogeneity, the less ideological um, um, singularity, the more we will advance on many of these issues and the more we will bring others along because I think that conversation can be really contagious. And it can be contagious to people who have no previous relationship to architecture because you're talking about stuff that impacts them. And so I just encourage my colleagues and around the country to, to continue to do that work. And if they're not doing that work, to take up the challenge. Yeah. Fantastic. Uh, Milton S.F. Curry, Dean, USC Architecture. Thanks so much for your, uh, your candor, your generosity coming on the show. We really appreciate it. Thank you very much. And thank you for the work that you're doing. This is, this is an excellent program. And uh, it's great that you're doing it. Thank you. Thanks so much. We'll see you just after the break. It's the Buildings on Air Mailbag with Kiefer Dunn, Craig Reshi, and normally Ann Louie. <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm still loving. This is the, the second time we've had the mailbag theme song. I'm all, I'm all about it. I'm here for it. Nice work, Jamie. <laughs> Thank you very much. Everybody needs a theme song. Yeah, yeah. So this is, of course, the regular Buildings on Air mailbag segment where we answer your listener questions about architecture. Uh, Craig Reschke, uh, usually Anne Louie, and, and can't be here. So it was a b- busy day in the life of Future Firm today. Eh? It's because she's in so many magazines and so many covers. <laughs> if she would get away from the glamour part of the architecture job. Uh, Just constantly getting photographed these days yeah yeah <laughs> um see cn if if it's okay if you don't show up I, I i told her i was like you know this is like a fun side project that we do <laughs> you shouldn't stress about it it should never be a source of stress only stimulating intellectual debate and then lots of fun in the mailbag <laughs> Um, but you do have to endure a gentle ribbing if you're uh, if you're not going to be on the show um <laughs> 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 uh, so that complete, uh, Craig, how's it going? Good. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, we've got questions um, and hopefully answers. Um, and I, I say we uh, get down to it. What do you think? Sure. Let's, what you got? Let's get started. Um, let's see. How do I make a room more soundproof from outside noises? Mm. Oh, there's a lot of ways. And we're in a pretty soundproof room right now in here in the station booth. What yeah. is it an interior room or is there any more information? <laughs> to an exterior room? to a shed. <laughs> I'm imagining like is it is it like a room in your basement oh, you're I going see. to use to host a radio show yes, or I, is it uh like your kitchen? Yeah. Yeah. No further information uh, given. Hmm. I mean like I don't know. I guess like um exterior sound uh, if you have I don't know. If the more the more soft surfaces you have around, like the the better. Um, I also think sound travels like you know drafts. <laughs> yeah. So if if well, you know like seal, ceiling gaps and cracks feels important to me. I well, guess I also asked if it was an interior room because usually 
in most houses, the interior walls aren't insulated. Yeah. So if right. it's like a sound problem between two bedrooms, you can have uh, uh, someone come in and blow insulation into each stud cavity, which will reduce the um, reduce the sound. You can also um, add another layer of drywall to the wall. Yeah. yeah. Um, there's something called an STC rating that they can look up, which is sound <laughs> transmission class. Yeah, um, and you can look at different uh, wall assembly details that will give you uh, give you uh, less sound transmission. Yeah, yeah. You can also, I mean, this isn't maybe what they're getting at. It sounds like the person wants to block out exterior noises like from planes or from a jackhammer or a neighbor. I mean, when when we do soundproofing and acoustic treatment here. Um, or setting up remote studios, people can't see us because this is radio and not television, but our ceiling is coated in this um, fiberglass product um, that is extremely sound absorbent. And then we have a bunch of egg crates, um, what's called egg crate. It's actually a foam material with ridges on it that resembles an egg crate that's in in various places in the walls. Um, The room also has no real sharp angles so that sound doesn't bounce and reflect. Um, it's carpeted as, as most studios are. Um, this is a fairly dead room. Um, we could deaden it more if we really wanted to. We could put egg crates completely over the walls and, and really do it out. Um, but I think, you know, for somebody at home, the, the one thing that you do need to keep in mind is that any kind of acoustic treatment or sound deadening um, can be expensive. Uh, so in, in some ways you want to go with depending on what you're trying to go for, like, for example, if this person is trying to set up a podcast in their kitchen, <laughs> it's probably just as efficacious to hang drapes or something, uh, a, a soft surface away from the wall, from the ceiling, giving yourself a little gap and moving blankets would do that. That deadens some of the sound, deadens yeah. some of the noise and, and insulates you. Um, we actually do that back in our so-called Studio K, our insert studio. Um, so there are things, you know, what, what Craig is mentioning, blowing insulation into walls is um, a good way to do it. Um, it's not that expensive anymore, but it does – you know, you're, you're drilling holes in every one of your walls. Um, a weirder way might be to do it might be to do what is called a floating wall um, where – and in fact, these walls are not actually connected to anything really. They float independent of the outer walls mm-hmm. to give yourself more of a sound gap. So there's, there's distance between sound that hits the exterior wall of Studio B, then there's an air gap, then there's insulation, and then there's the rest of the wall. And that's a fairly common thing, you know, kind of floating the walls away from each other. They could also tweet at McMansion Hell, who, in addition to being <laughs> a right. biting friend critic, of, friend is, of the show, Kate Wagner, is a uh, acoustician. Yeah, like, that's, that's right. That's her title, right? Yeah. Yes, she is. That's right. Yeah, and um, she's probably listening right now and going, "What are these guys talking?" Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Where's Anne to give S- them some sense? S- <laughs> Kate, send send in corrections if if, yeah. if you're out there listening. <laughs> probably while the phone's ringing off the hook here. Yeah, yeah, right. I, you know, I really, uh, I, I really wish that tapestries were more of a thing. <laughs> Because <laughs> the, the tap, a tapestry is a way to do this. I mean, um, you know, what, whatever happened to that? Because they also they also keep your exterior walls nice and warm too. I mean, like by being a kind of barrier between that cold, if it's an old building, maybe uninsulated <laughs> wall. I mean, maybe this is what we need to to keep the insulation lobby in check. And uh, maybe you need to invent an uh, an exterior tapestry that can exterior. both cut down on the sound from the outside <laughs> yeah. and be an exterior we can, insulation. We can we can uh, put it on on Kickstarter or something. The company can be called Christo, but like without without <laughs> right. any you know C R S T. Wait, what, what, how would it be if it was a tech company? I don't know. There's only. 
K R S T I O. Yeah, yeah, exactly. A rip, rip off of him. Yeah. <laughs> uh, not to give the door lobby any props either, but there are certain doors you can also get that reduce noise. Yeah, and stuff I used like to that. when I when I was working on healthcare architecture, this was a big concern because for. Um, Privacy re- reasons, you didn't want, uh, you know, someone passing by to hear the conversation between a doctor and a patient. So we had these really intense doors that had, um, they were like almost, they, they they had this crazy door hardware to when they closed, um, uh, it, like a seal like popped out to like uh, mechanically uh, all around to like really make the door like totally airtight so sound couldn't travel, um, which was extra wild because as in most commercial uh, construction, interior build fit outs, the um, – the, uh, the interior walls don't go all the way up to the the they go up to oh, the ceiling right. that's right but they don't go all the way up to the kind of structural ceiling the decking and so you know if you if you poke your head through the acoustic ceiling tile it's all open and so we had this crazy doors but there was this totally open um, uh, uh, ceiling space above the acoustic ceiling um, but they they put a white noise system above above which which work really well mm-hmm. and are sort of kind of totally unnerving um and if if you have like an open office space where where there's a white noise machine it really feels like the volume in the world has like is turned down it's like a really uncanny sort of and like like your whole distance of like speaking is like shortened by half it's it's very it's very strange but (laughs) i'm sure you could put one of those in your house too and it might be kind of pleasant actually uh, I don't know. Yeah, there are acoustic. Uh, you know, it's funny that you mentioned that because there are acoustic counter treatments that you can put in with yeah. noise machines to counteract certain frequencies. If, for example, you have a persistent—I mean, a persistent jackhammer probably isn't a thing—but <laughs> if you if you have airport noise, they they do sometimes install those. Yeah. yeah. So. Next question: What is the dumbest contemporary architecture trend? Oh, uh, I just saw this on. Um, uh, I was in Champaign going down to teach and, you know, they're building lots of student housing there. Uh-huh. Um, and the, uh, the like frames around windows thing, I think has really reached, uh, <laughs> some sort of peak horribleness <laughs> because I actually saw them with the building under construction, uh, uh, doing the, the water barrier just as like a, uh, as a box around the building. And then they were going back and on top of the water barrier, they were, attaching these like decorative frames um like the sort of like extruded box forms like yeah exactly like like what you would see on on, you know i think sketchup contemporary buildings yeah you know in in, like early contemporary buildings it had some sort of relationship to like the structure and the volume of the space inside and um like how the building was built and now it is just like this tacked on decoration so what do you think this doing that is you think it's like it was a hip thing in architecture magazines in like the early 2000s and now through like sort of repetitious imagery and magazines it's like trickled down to the developers who are sort of doing uh i don't know like a set dressing sort of version of it is that what's going on i think it's i think it's something like that i also think it's that it's easy to construct in that way right like the developer just wants to build the building as a box and then they, through like neighborhood input, uh, some kind of probably degree of tenant um, desires, they decide they have to Make like tack some <laughs> tack some things on the outside of it. And they used to be able to do that with like 
brick and stone and uh, kind of dumb patterns like that. And yeah. now they're doing um, stuff in all like fiber cement board and just like <laughs> building building boxes. Yeah, boxes I guess on I don't boxes. know. What uh, are there other dumb dumb contemporary tropes that we see? <laughs> I'm sure there I don't are. Know. I think I think that's a big one. I also think that the the sort of um, way that I don't know, exterior cladding materials sort of just, they get like collaged on in a weird way. Yeah. Like, um, I, you know, I, I think any, any time I see a limestone header. So like, you know, if you have a, if you have like a brick wall, uh, you know, you have to support the brick above the flat window opening. If it's not arched. Somehow. Are you going to talk about headers that don't span the opening? Yes. <laughs> Yes. That's what I've been saying. And so like, you know, the header is there to distribute the load of the brick onto the brick on either side of the opening. And so if if you have a if you have these decorative headers that don't go actually over to the sides of the wall, then you're just showing that it's not actually doing anything because it's not uh, it's not like there's a piece of hidden steel, right? That's a, a, a steel angle that's 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 doing that work. Really frustrating, really <laughs> aggravating. But but you know, I I was I was writing about this the other day. I'm curious what you think. Uh, on some level, I was like, isn't this the most modern thing? Actually, like very like modernist expression, like of the fact that like the limestone isn't actually doing any work mm. if it's not spanning all mm. the way. Isn't is that not like honesty in in materials? I I think <laughs> I, I think I prefer when you can see the bottom of the the. Uh, steel lintel just like hanging out yeah. there, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I also, brick is a self corbeling material, which means that the only sort of, you know, it's steps. So it's, you know, the, the steel is really only holding up a sort of triangle of brick above, above the window, um, which a lot of people don't know. Um, but, but I always wonder why you, you don't just omit that triangle and, and, you know, of brick. And make it like a, an interesting expression of the wall. Because then you can't put a standard vinyl window into the wall. <laughs> right. <laughs> a- ask question well, asked and answered. Things are sounding <laughs> grim today. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, maybe this will be a less grim question. And it's the exact opposite question. Are there any contemporary architecture trends that you like? Hmm. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's uh, sad that this is a harder question to answer. Um, Anne and I actually just took a trip to Beijing and went to the Olympic, uh, uh, oh, the, the, former, the former Olympic site and looked at both the bird's nest and the water cube, two projects that I was, were like so hyped yeah. right when I was, I guess, graduating, um, from architecture school. Uh, and I was expecting to show up and hate them. And <laughs> actually like the water cube had some like nice spaces in it and, um, <laughs> I mean, I guess. And now we have a new uh, ETFE building over on the IIT campus. What, Craig, what's ETFE? Uh, It is like a thick plastic sheet, I think is the best way to explain it. And it's inflated on the building wall to uh, create an air chamber that insulates. Yeah. Um, And it acts as both a water barrier and air barrier um, and building enclosure system. Yeah. And Buildings made out, it's like living in a plastic bag. <laughs> Which is something I've always <laughs> yeah, wanted right. to do. Every, everyone's, everyone's dream. Everyone's weird, sweaty. You know, there guys. are people who do live in plastic bags right now, and I can tell you they're probably not enjoying it very much, guys. 
have I, I don't know what do you think what are some contemporary things that we've seen lately um you know, one contemporary trend that i'm not mad at is the sort of um like black standing seam like uh siding which i mm. think which you guys future firm makes good use of um, and there's there's a house on Halstead, not far from from where we are here, that I think is like pretty nice that uses it. Like, the one by the police station. Yeah. Um, I like that's like Anna I, likes that house too, and I think it looks horrible. <laughs> oh, the one across uh, the street from the police station. Yeah. Yeah, it's one, awful. Yeah, it's, oh, it's like, absolutely ghastly. It's, Look, it's uh, not my favorite. It's oil canning. It's like the cheap uh, standing seam, so it doesn't have. And actually, I heard you're, the other, are you a connoisseur of standing seam? I heard point. the other day that it's actually architects that live there, so hopefully they don't uh, listen to the show and me saying that I don't like their house. But it looks like I a think house designed by architects. They are clearly listening to the show, and they've just heard the producer <laughs> say it's ghastly. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, well, I'm the host, and I think it's nice. So there. <laughs> well, there you go. I also think it's like urbanistically very weird that they built a single family house on Halstead Street right there. Well, I think it's zoned for that. It was zoned for that, yeah. Damn. Actually, I think it was. They did not get a variance to build that I house. See, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, but but I, I this is like by and large like a trend that I'm I'm not mad at. I think like you can there, there's there's uh, bad bad implementations of it. Certainly, there's plenty of good ones. I think you guys have some projects on the boards right now that that use it nicely, um, and 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 I I would contend that that's <laughs> a, a, a nice one. But I could see the opposing point of view. That's that's it. I mean. I'm actually know. like looking through my phone right now to try to try see to if there's like anything that I've photographed trends. lately that um, there's actually a weird like standing seam siding um, that was like uh, very narrow with a wide cap. So like the standing part and the um, piece against the wall were almost the same mm. depth um, that looked like a very 1970s cladding that I thought was maybe ripe for a redux. Yeah. Um, and actually when we're wandering around Beijing, um, all of the scaffolding in Beijing is covered with these kind of um, metal panels that come in like bright blue or yeah. bright green, and they're like a perforated metal, but they're like perfectly over the cladding in a really nice way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I I guess I also have lots like lots of trends that I'm like hoping <laughs> sort of emerge. Like, uh, and I don't know. Like, I I'd, I'd really love to make make architecture thick again. <laughs> yes. You know, like uh, sort of the. Um, we should put that on a on a t shirt. Um, yeah. But I, I think, you know, along with the area award, <laughs> right? yeah, make architecture thick again. That's the motto. And um, yeah, because I, I think um, I think uh, and we we talk about it in the mailbag all the time the sort of you know way that buildings kind of come flat packed and and how that kind of you know limits architectural agency because we're sort of you know assembling a kit of parts right and that that becomes our job. Uh, oh, that's uh, we have to post that on uh, the buildings on our Twitter. Craig's <laughs> showing us the 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 window bump out from yeah. we were discussing earlier. Yeah, yeah, that's okay. Yeah. I mean, but, re- I, you know, I like I, retro ballparks. <laughs> Who doesn't like a retro ballpark? Yeah, that's a good trend. Yeah, yeah retro ballparks are yeah. a nice trend. Yeah. I was a little disappointed. The Oakland A's when they went for the new stadium went for a modernist Danish firm. <laughs> that was kind of a bummer. Yeah. Um, my my brother lives in in the Atlanta ballpark, which is like a whole weird sort of. Complex. He lives in the ballpark. Well, so they they've like made a whole development, like a whole mini city oh. around the the kind of old timey ballpark. Was it Turner Field? 
used to, back in the day, yeah, and okay. and um, and now it's this new thing that's kind of in the suburbs. Gotcha. It's a totally surreal place. But he was he was texting us the other day. Is apparently they had like a you know in, in this sort of true like contrived little mm-hmm. city fashion. They had a Christmas tree lighting for all of the, the sort of people. Uh-huh. Um, but they also have a music venue in this space, and they're having some sort of like a satanic metal band. Oh, nice! Um, playing at this music venue at the same time they're having their nice sort of family oriented well, Christmas tree lighting. But the Christmas tree itself is a pagan ritual. Of course. So it's absolutely perfect that either black or satanic metal would be playing. I see yeah. no issue with this whatsoever. Uh, yes, yes. yes. Well, you, this is Doc, Dr. Jamie uh, sort of, you know, <laughs> with, with the history mindset. I, I don't know that that really... Um, uh, uh, Maybe not in Atlanta, Georgia. Yeah, I, don't, I was going to say, I don't know that the Atlanta, Georgia suburban wine moms really, um, you know, would be, would be swayed by your history. <laughs> it's interesting, though, that you mentioned that people living in the ballpark. Yeah. There's a development in London at um, Leighton Orient's a suburban London stadium. It's quite far out to the, I want to say the north, I'm going to screw this up, but I believe it's the northeast. And it's it used to be a, a, a third division soccer club. Mm-hmm. It's fallen out of the league. But that's another whole story. But they actually, as part of their redevelopment, built apartments with uh, rooms that looked out onto the football field at, at Leighton. Mm. So it was actually kind of cool. You could go there. I mean, if you really were a fan, yeah. like the game was always at your window. And it was, <laughs> was kind of neat. The apartments yeah. were actually kind of nice, but it was a bizarre thing. That was like how they raised money for this tiny little stadium <laughs> to so be real yeah. yeah. Interesting. That'd be kind of cool. Yeah. Um, it's too bad Leighton Orient's not in the league anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Hurts my feelings. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, we we... we I'm I'm tempted to to launch into soccer talk, but that would be no the no no we, we did enough of that last episode. Yeah, very very tough yeah. uh, tough result for Liverpool. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> My attic has three huge raccoons living inside. I've seen them crawling out of the roof vents. What should I do? Call an exterminator, I guess. <laughs> why, why are you writing into an architecture show to ask this question? <laughs> Um, <laughs> that was my first and question. What are you <laughs> doing while you wait for yeah, the response? I mean, it's a very, very odd choice that you've made here. Yeah. yeah. So I would, I would question that choice first of all. Thank you, thank you for your, your maybe. I mean, okay. I think it really only becomes a truly dire situation if one of the raccoons like w- w- moved on. <laughs> if you yeah. know what I mean. You mean if it like kicks the can? Yeah. 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 Like the uh, animal did in the basement of. The pigeon. Oh my god! Uh, pigeon Studio, future firm, shared office. That yes, was an right. awful thing that happened to us. Yeah. yeah. Um, Didn't you carry that thing out? In a no, sack? this no, is a and whole... called our landlord. Oh, yeah. Look, I mean, yeah. So you know, Pigeon it, Studio, my architecture office, future firm, Craig and Ann's architecture office. Uh, we, we all we all cohabit the same office space down the block, and um, there was all these flies, and and we couldn't figure out what was going on. And um, and and then we did. <laughs> and, well, I think it, it took like three days because Anne and I yeah. both like our the basement of the office is like a little. <laughs> it's like it's very short. It's very dirty. It's like not finished in any way. And it took us a couple of days to like say, okay, we have to go down there and check. And then like right at the bottom of the stairs was a huge dead animal carcass. I mean, I just remember um, when the exterminator came. It wasn't even an exterminator. It was like a was disposal a company. <laughs> oh. And uh, the guy went down there with a the flashlight, 
came back, went back down to the basement with a snow shovel. <laughs> I heard a scrape, and then he came back up with a, with a garbage bag slung over his shoulder because whatever was in it was so sort of heavy. And, um, uh, yeah, that, that was not a fun day in the office. Um, no. Well, in the two days leading up to that, there was – 600 flies so yeah Mm. i mean i I think the answer is like you should cover you know the vents and openings generally open for a reason not always but especially like roof roof vents um are really like sort of important part of your the way that your house like works and functions (laughs) like you know even even flat roof houses um, in chicago especially like tend to have a kind of air gap between um, the sort of ceiling and, and the roof uh, because you want air circulating through that space because you want a buffer zone between the cold or the warm depending on the season and, and your condition environment. Um, so, you know, and, and, and that, that, that air needs to flow through. But, I, you know, cover it with chicken wire. Air, air gets around chicken wire and, and raccoons usually <laughs> or, don't. <laughs> or find whatever kind of vent was on there previously, which seems to yeah. have probably fallen off and replace it with that, not yeah, with chicken right. wire. But, either. you know, like a, a, a dear friend of mine had a similar issue uh, recently at a, a, a local establishment that I will not name. Um, and and, and this was causing a problem and it was really just the open eve vents that, mm. you know, it wasn't even the sort of like, you know, mechanical roof vents, but even, even the open eve vents, those raccoons are crafty, yep. you know, mm. and it's warm in your house. Yeah, that's right. So. Yeah. Um, so don't write us, call animal <laughs> control. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Buy some chicken wire. Yeah. And remember, they're probably more scared of you than you are of them. Unless they have rabies. <laughs> right. And if they're not, you've got a real problem. Really, don't call. Don't, don't write into Don't write into Call, call animal control. Um, but thank you. Yeah. Uh, next question. Um, ooh, this was a good question. Have you ever been hired to design or build a secret passage or a secret room? Oh. Mm. No, but it sounds great. Yeah, I'd really enjoy I it. I actually yeah. have worked ah. on building a secret room. I actually have done that in my life. Are you allowed to talk about it? Yeah, or no, do you it's have totally an NDA? fine. <laughs> I, if I, I don't believe so. No, there was a place. Um, so there was actually two. One was a historical restoration job. I was when I, this was when I was in the painting union in upstate New York. Uh, the bishop's mansion in. I'm going to screw this up. It wasn't Syracuse. I think it was Oswego, but it was a historical uh, historical restoration. Uh-huh. And he had, I guess, whoever the bishop was in the 1800s, had a hidden compartment behind his bookcase huh. that was a. I don't know what the bishop did in there. I'm not going to ask with all the stuff going on with the Catholic Church. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say. But there, there was a bookcase that was – you opened up a book that wasn't real and it opened up. So we were in there and we were painting it. Cool. And then there was another job that we were on that somebody um, – it was also in New York. So, uh, the, the carpenter was doing it for this woman. And I don't remember what her job was, but I believe she was – it was something in the arts. Huh. And she had always wanted to have – you know, a secret, but it was for the kids. You know what I mean? It was going to be like a, uh, a secret place under the staircase kind of mm. thing. And so he was designing that, and that was actually kind of cool. Yeah, because it was it was pretty clever. He did it with um, you couldn't you could not see any seams. It was totally if you were looking at it, you would know a door was there. But if you pressed a certain place, it would click and then it would swing open. Yeah, and it was it was pretty neat. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah. This seems like uh, someone that should check out the Appliance House by Ben Nicholson. Oh yeah, and definitely. the Kleptomaniac cell. 
Yeah, um, hidden compartments to keep all of your stuff. Yeah, I, I'm. Um, I'm really Ben. Ben. Ben, of course, is a colleague at SAIC, and um, I'd really love to get him on the show to talk about the Appliance House someday because that is a truly wild sort of project. So we'll, we'll put that. We'll put a pin in that one for future <laughs> buildings on yeah. air. Yeah, I, I've never. I've never. I've had the chance to design like hidden doors. But it was sort of for mundane reasons. Like, um, you know, when I when I was working at a corporate architecture office, we did a lot of sort of I, I worked on a lot of interior fit out projects for these healthcare clinics, and you know there wasn't there was never a huge budget, um, and it was also very much about kind of building a like brand consistency between the you know different spaces that we were working on. So mm-hmm. there was a kind of feature wall that we had. Uh, which was where we, you know, we splurged a little bit. It was like the one spot in the design you could splurge a little bit. And it was like, and, and it was consistent between every clinic. So whenever you walked into one of these, you know, clinics, you could, I don't want to buzz market it, but, but whenever you walked in one of these clinics somewhere in Chicago, they would have like a kind of recognizable feel. And um, the way that this interior fit out was sort of shaking out the space planning, the, there needed to be offices that you had to access through the feature wall, which was this sort of nice wood paneled sort of um, thing. So this is one of my proudest accomplishments is designing the sort of wood paneling to be <laughs> secret doors that, you know, you could open and go through the wall to the offices without mm. it looking like they were doors. So that, that was the closest I've come. I'd love to do it for Sounds- like an actual secret. <laughs> Sounds like yeah. a great place for someone to like stand staring at your feature wall and then get whacked in the face yeah. when someone comes flying yes. out yeah. of their yeah. office. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm pretty sure those doors also. I, I guarantee that the way that they get used is they they stay open <laughs> all the time, uh, ru- ruining the hard work of designing those details painstakingly. What drill bit can I use to drill through rebar? I need to mount a TV to a concrete wall that is reinforced with rebar, but I haven't been able to find a bit that can drill through steel. Wait a minute, what? <laughs> yeah, I don't think. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you guys know what rebar does, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I would say I, move the TV uh, up or down an inch. Yeah, yeah uh, or side to side. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, for those who don't know, Rebar, short for reinforcing bar. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, so I'll yeah. So let let me handle this one real quick. As somebody that has hung many TVs in my house, um, do as Craig says and move it over an inch or two, and you will not hit the rebar. Yeah. A masonry bit with a spade tip is what you want. Mm-hmm. Um, you want to. I mean. How are you gonna attach it? Probably lag bolts, right? Yeah, get yeah. a nice get a nice concrete yeah. anchor. Yeah, get an anchor and Some, lag bolt. Sometimes, sometimes, uh, you know, you also just drill a really big hole and then you epoxy in a concrete anchor. Could do that. That's, yeah. a, that's a way to do it. It's yep. a really secure way to do it. Also, I mean, if it's not a very heavy, t- like you can get mastics and construction adhesives that um, no, no glues, Kiefer. I on. I know, but you could do glues that. make the world work. <laughs> the, the only issue with that is then you can't really remove the TV. Yeah. I mean, if it's a, I mean, I guess you, then you're, I wouldn't, I wouldn't agree with that either because then you're stuck with that TV. If the TV breaks, then it's a real hassle to get off the wall and yeah. all that kind of crap. Um, but I, you know, I don't know. I mean, this is this is like this is the this is the poet in me. The the bad poets, not a good. But I always like seeing like mastic spots on concrete walls and being like, there used to be a thing there. I wonder what it was. Mm-hmm. I, <laughs> I, I I like those moments, but I I understand why it's not. But yeah. you you guys are right. You're right. 
We were uh, actually just working, this is kind of an aside, but we've been working on this project in the Pedway downtown underneath the, I guess it's called the Heritage, um, this tall apartment tower. Yeah. And right by the uh, service elevator, they had to run two new two-inch conduits. So they were mm. drilling a big, big holes through the concrete floor. And it was like three days of prep work as they brought in an x-ray machine to x-ray the floor, oh, wow. then tape off where all of the rebar was, determine where they could drill through to add the conduit. That's so pretty it's, wild. I mean, depending on what kind of building you're in, it's a pretty serious Yeah. Because um, you do not want to drill through the rebar. Yeah. yeah it's because it's kind of a misnomer that it's called reinforcement bar because it's actually the uh, <laughs> only tension uh, – the only thing holding tension in the concrete. Right. right. Yeah, because concrete is stone, and stone does not work with ten- right. tensile forces. So if you don't have that rebar there and you break the rebar, then you're essentially breaking your wall. Yeah. No, no and that's bueno. bad. Bad. Don't, don't, break, don't <laughs> so break your wall. Let's, let's Highly ju- technical advice. <laughs> let's just go back. Don't drill through the rebar. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, but drilling through steel that's not rebar is quite fun. Oh, yeah. And you yeah. can use almost any bit, a little bit of oil. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Some patience. Yeah. <laughs> Slowly but surely, get a good groove going. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Put on some music. Um, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, oh, yes. I, I wanted to bring up P11, um, the space, because I, I think um, um, I, there's, a, there's a lot of I, – I I'll take this moment in the show to, to give some shout-outs about some, like, events that are happening in the buildings on air – Universe. Um, there's the Lumpen Drawing Rally. Yes, that's tonight. tonight. Mm-hmm. And so, if those o'clock. of you who are listening live should come. If you if you like what the station does, I mean, you I, you might not like buildings. <laughs> this might be you might just be listening to us because it's preset. But if you do like buildings on air, mm-hmm. if you like Lumpen generally, um, you know you, it, tonight's a great time to right. to come down to the co prosperity. It is our biggest sphere. fundraiser of the year, and and it's yeah, keeping the lights on. Keep the, mm. keep the lights on. Help and we don't actually on. have the lights on right now because we can't afford the lights. <laughs> so <laughs> we're sitting in the yeah. dark in Studio B. It's true. So can, can attest. Uh, yeah. And uh, uh, so. There's that Krampus knocked. That's my, right. My favorite sort of That's right. co-prosperity. That is uh, what, next happening. Saturday. Yeah, it's it's quite quite the shindig. Yes, um, it is. Um, that's happening. Yep. If you are out and about, to Lumpen Radio is over at Renegade Craft Fair today, yeah. at the Bridgeport Arts Center yeah. complex, whatever it is. Yeah, it's over there. So if you're there and you can stop by and you can see your favorite Lumpen DJs wondering why they can't hear anything because people are shopping. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, um, and, and also, I'm, I'm teaching a class at SAIC this semester, a design communications class, and we're running our sort of final review as a, as a gallery opening oh. on, on December 14th. Nice. Um, and so I'll, I'll tweet, tweet about that. Um, but, I, you know, folks could come to SAIC and, and check that on, on December 14th. You can send me an email, buildingsonair at gmail.com. Um, and I'd be happy to give you the directions. Um, but also, there's going to be an event at P11. Um, Jonathan Solomon, friend of the show, is his, he's having a whole class about the sort of weird and wild world that is Chicago's underground pedway system. And um, they're going to be doing a kind of collaborative drawing at this space on December 14th. Um, and uh, there's a, a kind of opening, a soft launch on December 3rd. And, and P11, designed by Future Firm. No? Yes, yeah. yes. Uh, just put some like final uh, punch list items together today because it was both 
feature firm designed and built. <laughs> nice. Um, so we got our, our construction uh, hats on for a while. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the space is finished out. It's right underneath the um, Intelligentsia on Randolph Street. If you enter the Pedway there, um, you can go check out the space. There's an, um, an opening um, for an artist, Lindsay French, who uh, actually has exhibited in Bridgeport before, just down the street from us at the Learning Machine. Um, that Jonathan and his partner David are bringing in. Um, and it's a really, uh, yeah, the Pedway is a strange and beautiful world to explore. <laughs> and I think P11 is a cool new addition. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's going to be a design-focused sort of museum um, in, in, that <laughs> in that space. <laughs> in, in that space. <laughs> really weird. Um, let's, let's answer one more question okay. for the buildings on our mailbag. Um, is it weird that I know the exact number of electrical outlets in every house on my street? Yes. yes. Are you yeah. a stalker? <laughs> yes. yes. The answer is yes. I just wanna, that's my question. So uh, I want to <laughs> know how you found that out. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I guess if, if you knew approximately the size and layout of someone's yeah. house, you could calculate yeah. it. Uh, this Why does, would you, though? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this does feel like the uh, build it, like the weird mailbag equivalent of like the famous Buckminster Fuller. Uh, do you know how much your house weighs? <laughs> yeah. do, you, do you know how many electrical <laughs> outlets are in your neighbor's house right like it's it's like you know <laughs> our our surrealist answer uh to, to this question that's a very odd one <laughs> well on that note um craig thanks for uh f- thanks for for coming down answering answering some of these listener questions Thank yeah thanks for having me yeah, yeah send them in for that. next month yeah we'll be back in february y'all the mailbag look at that <laughs> <laughs> oh that always cheers me up that's so great <laughs>
This has been Buildings on Air on Lumpen Radio. Buildings on Air is a production of Lumpen Radio. Hosted by Kiefer Dunn. Produced by Logan Bay and Jamie Trecker. Visit us on the web at buildingsonair.live. If you want us to answer your questions about buildings on the air, send them via Twitter at BLDGS on air or via email at buildingsonair at gmail.com. This show is also available as a podcast on iTunes.